When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Oh, don't get me started on that. I had a whole conversation on the way to school with my son about his Miles Morales theory. (laughs) Yo, if he turns out to be right... Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. I'm the king of the world. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello. And today we're gonna have one of those Bay episodes. That's uh, <laughs> it's, a little. That's a little redundant because the Bay in the Bay, the episode is already there. It's so like we're gonna DC have Comics. Bay. It's a basic ass episode. I used to call my uh, practice golf balls PGB balls, which was redundant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it's, it reminds me of the thing that I remember Jeremy doing way, way back in the day <laughs> when we were went to some uh, place to watch a band or whatever, and the menu had with cotton queso <laughs> on it, and he told he told the server. This says with with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I uh, do it again. <clears throat> yep, who, exactly. Who would and ever should... talk to uh, a server like that? Seriously, uh, especially mm-hmm. Seriously. when you know, unprecedented there's, behavior. There's yes. salsa served on the side. Oh, of the oh I knew what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People like to say salsa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so, um, all right. Anybody got any rants? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Anything, anything Ooh. bothering you guys? Bar- Barrett, Barrett you're, you're raising your hand like you're He's in class. jumping up and down. I have a movie-related rant-slash-question. Okay. Ooh, rant win. All right, so Chris and I, <clears throat> and uh, a few other of our colleagues saw the blockbuster Marvel movie Shang-Chi 
and the Legend of the Ten Rings this past mm-hmm. weekend as we record this. Uh, you will probably have heard a mini pod uh, by the time you hear this, or it will be coming soon. Did Gangbusters, which we'll talk about later on, Gangbusters relatively at the uh, the box office. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the total mm-hmm. Labor Day weekend domestic gross, from what I understand, Chris, is $90 million? Somewhere around there. Somewhere uh, around. I, I haven't looked at I haven't looked at the latest ones, but it's somewhere around there, yeah. Which obliterated Labor Day records, which uh which I was surprised about. I think Jeremy was surprised about. Mm-hmm. Uh the previous record holder was like thirty million dollars from two thousand seven's Halloween, Rob Zombification. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. and uh good for him. I, I saw the movie as you'll hear in the mini pod. Uh I very much enjoyed it there's a weird thing that happened just yesterday as we record this. So it was the, the sixth Sony um, announced that Venom, the sequel to Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, they are now going to move that release date only in theaters up to October 1st. Now, <clears throat> if you've been following this, uh, they've had this in the can for forever, much like a lot of pandemic era studios, uh, it was supposed to be released, I think, June of last year. Then it was moved to October. Then it was moved to September of this year. And then it was moved just a few weeks ago in August to mid to late October uh, of 2021, mostly because of the Delta variant and the spread of the pandemic, the spikes. From what I understand... This is fairly new news, but from what I understand, it's based on Shang-Chi's performance that they said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to move this now up two weeks or three weeks ahead of when we had this scheduled. And my issue is this, is like, I, I know we're in unprecedented times. We all know that we're in unprecedented times, but... This is fucking whack-a-mole to me. And this is absolutely making it up as we go along. And I f- feel like, obviously, money is the only factor in all this stuff. They're not factoring in, you know, how much of a safety hazard this is or that kind of thing. Maybe they are, but that's not the primary thing. The money is the big thing. My my problem with this is that it's all based on, well, people braved the theaters for Shang-Chi probably will do it for another superhero slash anti-hero film. And if that's how we're going to go, that is very, very weird to me. Uh, there There is no, nobody is taking the lead and saying, this is what we're doing. Warner's tried to do it. Uh, last year when they did the day and date thing with HBO Max to mixed results. And and I just, I think this is going to be chaotic moving forward, especially since we as Americans have certainly not solved the issue of the pandemic. What do you guys think about this? Oh man, so many thoughts. Uh, the most insignificant one first. Uh, what if there is something... Okay, so just a few days before Venom got bumped up early, two big Tom Cruise movies got pushed back to 2022 now. Um, Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 
seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I seven. don't know if they have a name for it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, and so clearly they're not even using the same logic at these various studios. Uh, but yeah, I feel like this was very reactionary. Shang-Chi, is it Shang-Chi? I've been saying Shang-Chi because it I'm Shang-Chi. In, in fact, yeah. it's In fact, though, the Chi part is even wrong, but... but you know, nobody American can, can say exactly. Word, yeah, right? even though they go to great pains to pronounce it in the movie, but uh, okay, yeah, that's, that's well, the best that we can do. I think that blew everybody's expectations out of the water, um, and so yeah, Sony was like, "Hey, let's get let's get ours out right now." Everybody's going to movie. They've decided for now they're going to movies, and in three weeks they might not be. Um, but but so, they're, they're going to see that movie is my issue. They went to see well, Shang Chi. That's not it's how not like studios operate. Going to see all I, movies. They're not going to see about time. About time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm going to break in here because if it had stated its release date, you're not having a problem with that. It's the same thing. They're still they're still coming out with their movie. Well, why, yeah. saying, why does moving it make any difference? It's what Jamie was saying, the reactionary na- nature of it. Now, does two weeks really make that big of a difference? No. No. It does if you're trying to position your movie the right way, though. You, you the Sony obviously found an opening for October 1st and said, this is a good spot to put our movie because we avoid whatever. I can't, I can't, I don't have the entire schedule in my, in my head right now, but uh they figured they could be the only game in town they might be actually they're avoiding the eternals is what they're avoiding by doing that Mm. uh uh, the eternals comes out i think november 5th somewhere around there Mm. uh you instead of getting that one or two i think it was one week maybe before the eternals came out this was supposed to come out uh the positioning of the movie is not based on solely shang chi doing what it was doing it's it's to position it in a in a in a way so that when you come out you don't get blind you know you don't get blocked by some other movie that comes out the next week the 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 easiest way to to talk about this is how studios when the phantom menace came out um that and i know this is a long time ago there's other examples that i could come up with but when the phantom menace came out in 1999 everybody avoided the weeks after uh that movie came out and there wasn't anything solid that came out for i think it was two or three weeks because they expected that to just slam and it did Mm. uh i think i I think people forget that the movie did really well despite (laughs) our disappointment in it um uh so anytime a movie moves like this, they're looking for that spot. Now it is interesting that they moved to October 1st because it, there is no time to die coming out the following week. Mm-mm. So there is a movie still there. That's going to take some of their audience away on that second week. But I think they're thinking in terms of comic book audience more than they're thinking uh, in terms of just general overall audience. And they mm. think that they're going to be the only comic book game in town because Shang-Chi will have been out four weeks by that time. And mm. uh, the Eternals comes out in another four weeks. So, hmm. and then you have that Spider-Man, <laughs> you have the Spider-Man movie you know, coming out in, around Christmas. So. so that's, that's my secret secret sauce right there that's my that's my secret hunch is that they might have even bumped venom to 2022 but 
I think there's something loosely connected to the Venom movies in the new Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. So they oh, can't put it out after that Spider-Man movie. That's yeah. your thing. Yeah. So they were like, what's the, okay, Shang-Chi did really good. We can't push back. Is there a better weekend than the one we're on now to try and maximize? Let's also not forget the first Venom made a shit ton of money. Um, so this has a built-in audience ready to go that, that Shang-Chi didn't even have. Um, and I'm, we're, we're, we're stomping all over your rant by changing topics in minuscule ways, but I'm also fascinated by the, the question of would Shang-Chi have made another $60 million if Disney had sold it on Disney Plus like they did Black Widow? Because Black Widow and Shang-Chi had basically similar openings in, in terms of domestic box sure, office. Sure. But Black Widow was pur- purchasable uh, premiere event or whatever on Disney Plus and made another, I think, $60 million, $40 million. It made another significant chunk of money um of course it also brought a lawsuit so yeah yeah (laughs) that's another thing there's so many factors into why uh they decided to go with just the theatrical release and all that Uh, by the way that this is also moving the movie to where it succeeded like you said it did back in in 2018 it's the first uh friday in october for for this movie and that's what the last venom was so interesting um so you know I don't think I I totally agree that they're not they don't really care about the health issue whatsoever. I mean they'll they'll say that they do, but yeah. they they don't because they're coming out with the movie, right? <laughs> um uh and uh and so I think that it emboldened them sure to uh find a better release date. But also, yeah, what Jeremy's saying, maybe there's something in Venom there that'll be confusing if you watch Spider-Man first or you know uh that you know that they want to set something up for that next movie and you know that's another weird consideration that they have to go through now right because that black widow even had some stuff in it that was out of date yep uh by the time uh you know by the time it came out so anyway Mm. i don't think there's any i don't think i don't think it's like whack-a-mole i think it is a different situation that they have dealt with that they've ever dealt with before where there's all these release dates and it's like, here's where we're going to come out with stuff. And then suddenly stuff moves because of something pandemic related. And then they're like, Oh, well we could put our movie in that spot because we don't care about all the shit that that studio does. Yeah. And, and, and it's always about priming your movie in the perfect spot that you think that's why movies are always moving back, moving back, moving back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, and that's why this stuff. was, this was, odd to me that it was moving forward especially such a small amount relatively and you're right it did uh, october 5th was the the first venom uh release date but it seemed very very reactionary to me and it's not i don't begrudge sony for doing this i mean make whatever money that you're 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 gonna make but if you pushed it back all this time i think three or four times at this point for pandemic related uh issues I don't think they did. I don't think they moved it back. And they did before, like yeah. in 2020, they moved it back for that. Right. But now the stuff that we're seeing is they're positioning themselves. So, so in a way they're all the stuff we've seen in 2021 is positioning themselves in the right spot. They thought September was the best place to put it at first. Then they moved it to late October because they thought that was the best date. Now, they think this is the best day. I do think that the Tom Cruise movies bumping is 
I mean, it's it's a money decision, but I think it's pandemic motivated. I think they they decided we're going to make more in in the summer of 2022 than if we go ahead and put it out now. Clearly, yeah. And and, and considering uh, the crew's, you know, whatever you want to call it, meltdown on the set of Mission Impossible about yeah. the masks and everything. I couldn't help but think that Cruz was behind not only that, but the jackass, you know, like they, they moved jackass. Back. They did. They it's did. Hilarious. And it's almost Tom like Cruz was like, I'm not, I will, I will tear my contract up here at Paramount. If you don't move these fucking movies back. <laughs> yeah, he met with Johnny Knoxville. He's like, listen, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so here is, uh, this is Wikipedia and I can look this up later. Uh, it was delayed. It was uh, due to premiere in October of 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. Then it was shifted to June of this year, June 25th of this year, due to the mm-hmm. pandemic. Yep. Then it was further shifted to September due to the pandemic. When? When huh? was it shifted? When was it shifted? When did they make that decision to to shift it from June to September? That I don't know. <clears throat> because if it was June. early, because if it was early in the year, it makes sense. But after the vaccines, where people have, I don't know, it's it's sort of decided everything's all right now. Um, but then around September, they moved it to mid-October 15th because of the Delta variant. Uh, yeah, from what this okay. I, I don't know if I'm buying the Delta variant is the reason why they moved that to okay. October 15th. Now, you're right. I mean, maybe that's what they've said publicly. We're so concerned about public health that we decided to move this movie one month back because of the Delta variant. One month. Come on. No. And, and that translates into money, obviously. It's it's not mm-hmm. the safety. It's due to people not putting their butts in the seats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, so it's not. So it's maybe not maybe cool maybe they did. The- maybe they did think that there was a pandemic thing for for moving all this, moving all these release dates, moving back. And then, yeah, they did see Shang, Shang-Chi do what it did. And they finally decided, OK, we don't we don't need to worry about that anymore. Yeah. That's and that's my point. And it's it's like it's like Hollywood always taking the wrong lessons or, you know, I wouldn't even say the wrong lessons, but their own lessons, their selective lessons from one thing. It may not be that everybody's ready to go see a comic book movie now. It may be Mm -hmm. that people wanted to see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, you know what I mean? And may not say, I'm going to risk you know, either wearing a mask or or contracting something or something like that to see Venom too, and and that's that's kind of what I was going for is that uh, it's it's it seemed reactionary to me, but I think I think you guys brought up good points. Is uh, you do have to position it. Obviously, if they had their druthers, they probably would have. I mean, the initial release date was October second, twenty twenty, so they're positioning yeah. it in the same exact same location as what they originally planned. But mm-hmm. there was just so much shuffling around that I think it is a reaction specifically to Shang-Chi um, in part. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I think we're all mm. circling around the right reasons here yeah. um, mm. Um, mm. that, you know, that originally maybe they did decide because of the the pandemic. But I, I, I think it is I think it is stupid that they had it in September and they said, oh, no, Delta variant. And they moved it back two weeks. Yeah. Like that was going to be a big fucking deal. Um, so if they, if they really thought that they would have moved it to the next year, like Jeremy was saying, but, and they would have moved Spider-Man to the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he may be onto something there. 
boy. So, I already told you my prediction that Spider-Man's going to end with uh, some kind of a credit scene that either shows Venom or Jared Leto's Joker. Morbius. Morbius. He's playing a standalone villain for Sony, a Spider-Man villain. It's, I think it's Morbius. Can we Joker. just get Jared Leto out of shit? Or Miles Morales. Oh, don't get me started on that. I had a whole conversation on the way to school with my son about his Miles Morales theory. <laughs> Yo, if he turns out to be right, that's going to be fucking... <laughs> I just like have this idea, just like this idea, you and your son having this conversation on the way to school. Fuck it. Not about, Fuck it. Not about schoolwork or anything like that or any other... You know, like, let's talk about uh, Marvel and their universe, son. That's uh, correct. Because, <clears throat> we do it often. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, what I, what better way? Okay, so the the secret is out about all the cameos in the Spider Man movie, right? We know we know at least at least Doc Ock is in it because he's in the fucking trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, rumors are strong. Jamie Foxx is in it. We saw a pumpkin bomb, so it might be Norman Osborn in it. When, and then everybody thinks Toby and Andrew Garfield are going to show up. What better way to still surprise people? after all your surprises have been spoiled already, than to ha- tack on a scene at the end where Peter, I'm telling you, he, the end of this movie, he's going to be in some alternate universe, not the one we've seen him in. Uh, and he's going to see Miles Morales swing by or Venom go by or something. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Now, can I talk about these motherfucking hummingbirds for a minute? Yeah, let's yeah, do, it. do it. All right, hummingbirds are amazing creatures. Uh, you know, they spend their winters in somewhere between Mexico down to Brazil, right? And they migrate, fly over the fucking Gulf of Mexico. Now, these are birds that have to drink sugar water or get it out of flowers on the regular because they burn so much sugar flapping their wings like that. So it's a miracle that these guys can fly over the Gulf of Mexico. And then they continue to migrate throughout the spring all the way up uh, to the top of North America and even into Canada. These are the ruby-throated hummingbirds yeah, uh, the only ones we get in tennessee mm-hmm. um now i have put out by an african swallow a swallow mm-hmm. i have put a feeder out for hummingbirds every year for the last 10 11 years at my old house i would get two or three at the peak of every year and another amazing thing about hummingbirds is that they return to the same spot uh so i was seeing the same hummingbirds every year come back to my house and back to my feeder um <clears throat> we've since moved and I've got a feeder out here outside my window right fucking now. There are five goddamn hummingbirds on there. And I'm going through a quart of hummingbird nectar that I make myself a day. I've seen up to 10 at once every day for the last week. There is something happening. It's not normal. Now, I actually saw a post on the Nashville subreddit saying hummingbirds and everybody enjoying how many hummingbirds we have this year and nobody had any science nobody had any conclusions nobody had any answers just everybody saying hummingbirds uh, uh, maybe there's a little extra because they're starting to migrate back south and i'm sure that's possible but last year i had five max i sent you guys a video on slack a year ago going look at all these hummingbirds and that was only five mm-hmm. and now we got 10 i put a full cord out there yesterday and it's half gone it'll be gone by the time i go to bed tonight they're eating me out of sugar and water which is not ultimately very expensive (laughs) but they're awesome creatures i'm enjoying seeing so many of them i just want answers i want 
I'm the guy who wants to know why. Why did my neighbor have a helicopter parked in his front yard for three weeks that is now gone? I don't know, but I want to know why. I want to know the reason why I have, if I have 10 hummingbirds at this feeder at once, you know, there's 15 total out here. I just not, they're not all coming at the same time. So what's the answer? The, the listeners of the podcast, science people, Joseph, but you're more of a botanist than a bird guy, ornith ornithologist. But who who knows? Give me an I answer. Mean, doesn't in the obvious answer possibly that they're not finding the right the amount of food food sources that they normally do? That is a possibility. There's like I think there could be some climate related things. It could also be that in the pandemic, not as many people have been putting out feeders that they would normally do because oh, uh, yeah yeah and the only other thing i thought of is that fucking hurricane came through about a week ago mm -hmm. and hurricanes coming up through from new orleans to tennessee are not super common and i wonder if that has delayed some of the migration and they're just kind of like in a holding pattern at at my feeder uh, drinking all my goddamn sugar water i just want to mm -hmm. know why i love them they're precious i'll be sad when they're gone Mm -hmm. They're the only mm -hmm. bird that can fly backwards. They're miracles of nature. <laughs> but why so many this year? I, I, I need to know. I need to know. That's my rant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you make your own nectar. It's just sugar and water? The store-bought nectar is not... They put that red dye in it, uh, which is ultimately not healthy for them. Um, you can get this at a store? You can buy pre-made hummingbird nectar at a bottle at the store. It's almost mm -hmm. always red. Hmm. And the red, color red attracts them. That's why most hummingbird feeders have red lids and red bottoms. Uh, but the liquid doesn't need to be red. Uh, so, yeah, I've made my own. It's just four cups of water, one cup of sugar, four to one, four parts water, one part sugar. It, you just boil the water, throw the sugar in, let it cool, put it in the feeder. It's easy, um, but it is kind of a pain in the ass when I have to do it every fucking day. <laughs> mm -hmm. You've got mm -hmm. extra I have this one. I have this one pot. It's old. I've had it for 30 years, and it's that's the one I use to make hummingbird nectar. And I said to my wife this morning, I'm just going to stop putting that away for, until this ends because I'm using it every day. There's no reason for me to put it back in the drawer and get it back out 12 hours later. That's dumb. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you've got the goods. You're like the best gas station in the city. You're like, yeah, uh, I must. you're like a Thornton's or something. Thornton's are always good. Yeah, dude, where did they come from? Because it was like, I remember one day I had never heard of Thornton's as a convenience store chain. And the next day there was literally one on every corner. It was like overnight. There's a lot of them in Louisville. I don't know exactly where they came from, but uh, they they migrated down from Louisville. From Let me ask Russia. you a question. <clears throat> Why do convenience store chains advertise? Like... The convenience stores of Speedway. I've heard that radio ad a bunch of times. And they'll, they'll advertise on the radio about the, the coffee refills. Like, are people loyal to a <laughs> convenience store brand? Well, yeah. I, they are probably existentially and also financially. Like, you know, you got the gas cards that give you points and shit like that. Like the shell cards and the mm -hmm. BP cards. But that's not like that. even the convenience store chain. That's the gas brand. I think they, they have the same thing. Like, are you a Speedway member or shit like that? Yeah, like Mapco and what so when then, Mapco became something else. I can't remember. But what. who's driving along thinking, they're on their way to work thinking, I need to grab a cup of really shitty coffee from a gas station. Then they hear a Speedway ad and go, 
I'm choosing that over Mapco and Thornton's. That that ad put me over the top. I'm a Speedway guy. There are people I know that there. I know there are people who do this. I That's agree weird. with you. I agree with you that because I'm not loyal to any fucking uh, convenience store. <laughs> no, like, I buy it, gas it, when I run out of gas and I'm close to a gas station. I'm not same. like oh, got to go my extra mile to. But, get to the racetrack you know there are people out there though who are looking to get those points they're looking to get those discounts and you know times are tight you know there's uh there's you know if you if you can get an extra dollar off of a bag of chips or something that you're gonna buy then yeah you're gonna go work your way towards that that's weird. um uh yeah um my 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 rant is just about noise i think i'm i think i'm more sensitive about noise than any person uh, that I know, uh, if you, if you grab, speaking of bag of chips, if you were to grab <laughs> a bag of chips and start eating them in front of me, just know I'm very close to that woman who, who went crazy over Mary Hart's voice back in the day. <laughs> very close. Uh, Kramer did too, right? Yeah. Kramer did it in Seinfeld <laughs> later on. Yes. Um, um, very close to that. Uh, anytime somebody brings out a bag, of, I, I'll watch stream sometimes and like people are like, you know, playing poker or something and they start eating chips and I'm like, no, no, mm. no. Mm. And, um, is it the chips themselves that, uh, that really, uh, the crunching the of the chips, yeah. the crunching of the chips. Um, anyway, this is not about crunching of the chips, but it is part of just my noise aggravation in general, trying to think, I was actually trying to think of a rant, uh, during the pod prep and everything. And I was sitting there and all, and I was hearing all these, all this chatter outside, um, all this, like, you know, people out on their deck out in my neighborhood, man, people love having parties on their deck and I don't get it at all, man. I don't get it. It's like, it's like, you know, it, to me, it's like, it's like the inside only outside, but everybody <laughs> loves it. <laughs> everybody loves having a fucking party on their deck and they, and they're loud. They put music on, they talk louder than normal for some reason. Yeah. And, and then there's like, there was a, there was a cacophony of, of woos coming from that deck several no, times no. oh no several times several times and uh and i and i was just sitting there thinking you guys know that you people hear you right it's not like you're on the inside when you do this i don't know man i like the when i was first introduced to decks back in the day <laughs> 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 I, I always thought i always i remember it like i was i don't know seven years old uh but like i always thought that was a place you went out to escape the party was the deck and you would come out and you would do a you'd say you'd smoke your cigarettes uh you'd have a conversation with somebody who was also trying to get away from the party mm -hmm. maybe you guys get married later um but no like <laughs> who knows now, now there's this whole, whole party centered around the deck and they're like putting music up and they're making, the, this is the, where you get loud right here. You know, it, 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 I, and it's like, there are other people in this fucking world. How do you not understand that? I wonder how many of your neighbors do you think are Airbnbs? Because oh, I think there's, there's plenty, but I think there's who, also people who rent an Airbnb would not give any shits about noising 
the permanent residents in that neighborhood. Although, okay, so this house that did it last night is clearly a rental or Airbnb because mm-hmm. there's been different people in and out of that. Uh, however, no, I, I don't know if it matters too much because their attached neighbors always have fucking people out on their deck mm. they're always out there like ha, 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 ha. and it's like fuck you what is so fu-? there's nothing it can't be that funny it can't be that funny and uh and 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 people out on their deck just just you know oh i'm outside woo woo i'm outside i don't get it i don't yeah, get dude. that shit so this is why i moved mm-hmm. um because american neighborhoods are built too tightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like at my old house, we had the quiet old couple who had barky dogs. Then we had the trash family Robinson who were always, <laughs> always had the radio on mm-hmm. other people behind us was teen mom. And that guy would run his leaf blower for seven hours at a time. Yeah. What and, the fuck? <laughs> and I would never go out on my deck in that neighborhood and have a loud party. No, I would be too considerate, but I have land now. So if I went on my back patio now and played music and had a party and had some woo girls over that my Mm -hmm. wife would have to sign off on, (laughs) uh, we would actually not be bothering any of our neighbors. One of the things we say to ourselves regularly since we moved is I can't hear their fucking kids playing. I can't hear their dog barking. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But when you are in one of those neighborhoods where you're that tight, you got to be considerate, man. You got to be. And I think about days when I wasn't. Man, when I first moved here in 99, 98, uh, we lived in East Nashville and we were right on top of all of our neighbors and we would practice our Christian rock band music in the basement. (laughs) And I'm like, I guarantee you five or six neighbors were like, fuck, when are they going to be done? That shit is loud. Like we had full drums and everything. We did have one neighbor bring us his rap CD because Mm. he said, I'm a musician too. Here, listen. Mm. Was it Christian rap? No, this dude was arrested for domestic violence not too long after this, so I mm. threw it away. I've thrown away a lot of CDs that people have given me in my mm-hmm. life. I'll be honest. Oh yeah, you like give me a CD, Ronald. <laughs> Ronald. You give me a CD. You're really asking me where's the nearest trash can? <laughs> the funniest fucking things ever went to this. I can't remember which festival this was. It's something that uh, I think. 1029 was hosting or whatever it was something i don't remember what it was but your your buddy andrew was in a band that played we just got it we got into starwood and they were handing out these cds and uh and uh it's bad ronald and uh and uh you you were gone for a second and then you caught up with us and you said hey guys oops i i i accidentally threw away bad this was the band that looked like those two kids in uh high fidelity that steal records or whatever and have good taste this is who it looked like they look like high schoolers here's our Mm. band here's our band but actually Mm -hmm. ben folds played at that show Mm -hmm. and um the guy from dada who was in a new band uh which i loved i bought their record butterfly oh jones yeah, Butterfly yeah butterfly jones. jones i think is right i think that they right. played they were good too mm-hmm. um, that was all starwood i saw pictures a week ago on the nashville subreddit of what starwood looks like now um it's hard to orient yourself but the, the main stage is still there and then the steps that go up to the grass seating are still there but everything's overgrown and there's like three bars so it looks out. like oh, a, wow. like a apocalyptic version like when they 
yeah. always walk by like Wrigley Field and it's covered in ivy and shit like that <laughs> in those movies. <laughs> yes. Ten years have passed. Yeah, I, guess I mean, that they was tore down. was one of those, right? Yeah. I mean, they tore down all the columns and that big, you know, amphitheater awning and all the bathroom buildings and all that. But Oh, uh, the awning is gone? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, Chris, That's let me crazy. ask you this. Is uh, yeah. is this always at night or is it uh, any time? Most of the time it's at night. Um, yeah. But there are times during the day people come out on their decks and just do a variety of just bullshit. Like there's, it's annoying to me to hear somebody strumming a guitar. Mm. Uh, and it, and and it, and it's not because the it's unpleasant. It's just that it has no, it's just noise that just comes into your, your house. Uh, the guy, they had, somebody was strumming his guitar the other day and it's just one of those like, ding, 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 ding. You know, there's no point to it other than just, doing something with your hands or whatever when you're out on your deck and enjoying the outside um uh and i, I don't know that there are a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff that happens during the day for the most part this neighborhood is quiet it's just that if any one house out of the many that have been built here uh has a party you're going to hear the party hmm. and 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 the and and the problem during the day <laughs> this may be all neighborhoods or whatever but if somebody cuts their grass you're going to hear it. It doesn't matter where it is in the neighborhood. So like you hear a, a, <laughs> Seven a, blocks a away. <laughs> never and like an endlessly incessant amount of fucking mowers uh, in this neighborhood where it's just like, it's like, oh my God, how many people have to cut their grass today? And it's, oh, there's like a hundred houses in your, in your, you know, vicinity. That is why. Um, so anyway. I got the answer. I, I swear to God, I just read about this two days ago. But this dude in Japan invented uh, a gun, quote unquote, that if you point it at somebody talking, it stops them talking. And the U.S. Navy is even using this weapon. And Mm. basically what it does is it uses cameras and a bunch of sensors, uh, a powerful microphone, and it, it takes what you're saying and shoots it back at you like a hundredth of a second after you've said it. And it it causes this effect in the human brain that's just disorienting. You ha- you you have to stop talking because it's so it's like nails on a chalkboard to hear your own words coming mm-hmm. at you that close behind. So we need to buy you one of these. I was googling it to 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 be able to tell you about this, and there's one on Amazon. I don't know if it's like the Navy version, but um, you know we can try it. Tell me tell me the price. Um, well, at this point, I'm confused because it says 99 cents. Oh, it's an app. Uh, yeah, this is probably not good. This is probably yeah, not what we need. But when the technology gets there, you go out there to the Woo Girls and you point this gun at them mm-hmm. and they'll stop wooing. Mm-hmm. And they will be like, what the fuck I just happened to if, me? I imagine if you point any kind of thing that looks like a gun, they'll stop wooing. This actually looks, <laughs> yes, this actually looks mm-hmm. like a big ass radar gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't look like a gun gun. It just ha- happens to have a trigger uh, for you to turn it on. But mm-hmm. uh, I was like, fascinated uh, by that. This is yeah. like Havana syndrome. You know, the, yeah, uh, almost. Yeah. the uh, audio warfare that they're, uh, they're doing Even down in though Cuba. Everything I read about that suggests there there's no consensus it may not even be a real thing um that's a strange face you're making 
<laughs> the article I read went through a bunch of incidences over the last 40 or 50 years of people experiencing these same symptoms. And there may be a little bit of like paranoia driving the, like the last time Havana syndrome t- trended, I saw a bunch of tweets saying, this is not real. Here's a link to why. I explored mm. a couple of them. That's all. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But there is a gun that exists in the world that if you point it at somebody who's talking, it will make them stop talking. And hmm. I want one. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I want one. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, okay. Does anybody have any recommends and warns? <laughs> I got a bunch. Totes amaze balls. There, great. It won I, the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I got a bunch. All right, Jeremy. Yeah, you know, I usually warn and record warn. I think more than I recommend. Um, mm. May just bad, bad luck of the draw, but I feel like I'm always at least fifty fifty. But today I have three recommends. We may not have time to get to them all, uh, so I'm going to start with the most surprising one to me, and that's a film called Assassination Nation. Mm. I've heard about um, this. Okay, I'm so glad. It doesn't sound like either of you have seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this movie because. The Psycho A pod, the psychoanalysis pod that I guested on, uh, was doing a two-part episode on this. And then Patrick, my buddy Patrick from Modern Horrors, comes up underneath that and says, I love this movie. It has this amazing one-shot. And he posted like a minute and a half long clip of a one-shot that apparently is much longer. And so I was intrigued. I was interested. <clears throat> I, will, I will pitch this movie to you as The Perks of Being a Wallflower meets Euphoria meets The Purge. Mm. Mm. And I, I, I'm going to tell you a little more about it, <clears throat> but <clears throat> basically it takes place in a small town. Our main characters are four friends that are girls, two of them are sisters. And <clears throat> one of them is anonymously texting daddy. You don't know who daddy is, uh, but these are all high school girls. So this is not an appropriate texting relationship. She also has a boyfriend who's a jerk. Anyway, <clears throat> Things about people in town start getting hacked and leaking. So the first to hit was the um, that the mayor um, was a closeted um, gimp. I don't know, like freaky hmm. sex haver with weird leather chain outfits and gags and whatnot with men. Freaky hmm. sex haver. And, yes, and he had, of course, he had run on a platform of Christian family values. Now, I do want to tell you, this movie has my trigger warning in it, and I didn't see it coming, um, because this this man goes to a press conference and shoots himself in the face in front of everybody, mm. which is ironic, because the movie opens with, oh, by the way, trigger warning, and then gives you rapid fire. It's an awesome sequence, like 25 different trigger warnings of things that are going to happen in this movie. Misogyny, transphobia, blah, 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 blah. And it's basically saying this movie is R-rated as fuck and has it all. Mm. But they did list suicide as one of the trigger warnings. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, anyway, more stuff gets hacked, sometime, this time about the principal, and then the next thing you know, half the town's private emails, messages, and pictures have been exposed and leaked. And everybody in the town is going through everybody's shit. Everybody's secrets are being leaked. This girl's daddy texts to this man have been leaked. Um, And the one shot comes when a known hacker in town makes a video stating 
that this new hacker is our main character girl who has the daddy texting relationship. And that's when it turns into the purge. And there, there is a four minute one shot. I'm sure it breaks a couple times. All the camera is doing is panning around the outside of the house and then going up to the second floor and then going around and then going down to the first floor and then going around. But people are silently breaking into the house to attack and kill these girls. And you can see some of it happening that they can't see. And it took my breath away in terms of <clears throat> tension. Now, part of the reason this is compared to Euphoria, same guy. Mm -hmm. Same oh, guy wrote and directed Assassination. Yeah, Assassination Nation. Uh, one of the four girls that are friends is trans. Um, <clears throat> and she has a relationship with a popular boy in school who tells her not to tell anybody about it. Mm. There are a lot of Euphoria-like themes, but also that glimmery, shimmery imagery from Euphoria and mm -hmm. the cool setup one-shots. The ending of this movie is after a night of basically the whole town purging. And it's the most Euphoria ending ever because it's a high school marching band marching through the street playing, oh, it's a pop song. I think it's a Taylor Swift song. I don't know what it is. But there's like smoke and fires and dead bodies and wrecked cars all along the streets. And they're just going down the street. <laughs> um, I loved this movie. It's got like a 70-something on Rotten Tomatoes. I've already watched it a second time. Um, it's like nothing I had ever seen uh, all throughout because it, it has moments that feel like a, a coming of age. It has moments that feel like straight horror. Um, and I think you guys would dig it. You two specifically, I think, would dig it because you watched and enjoyed Euphoria. Uh, but even if all you do is seek out that four-minute one-shot that comes about two-thirds of the way through the movie, do that uh, because... It's mesmerizing. Yeah. It's on Hulu. I'm sorry. I should have stated that. Um, and uh, that's where I watched it. Yes. It's like with... uh, Coleman Domingo's in this movie, too, who is a breakout euphoria star. And he's in Absolutely. the. Uh, and also, uh, uh, Maude Apatow is in this as well as Euphoria. Um, God. Another person. Everybody. Bella Thorne. Bill all... Skarsgård. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Joel McHale. I was also going to mention that he's in the recent Candyman. Ooh, okay. Has come out. <clears throat> and he's uh, badass in Black uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom too. Uh, no, Coleman Domingo. Uh, he is. I don't know how old he is, but he looks like he's really taken off over the last. He's couple uh, years. fifty-one, going to be fifty-two. Wow. Oh, he's playing the principal in this movie. Then that's who that is. Uh, yeah, big cast. Um, good acting, great tension, really interesting themes and theories. Um, you know, this, this is, if Euphoria and this is the kind of stuff this guy's going to make, then I'm going to get on board pretty quick with whatever else he makes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lucas Gage is in this, who is also in Euphoria. Uh, I like this Sam Levinson, man. I think, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to what he continues to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I absolutely adore euphoria and i've really planned on doing a uh, uh a rewatch of that by the way i just looked it up jeremy the uh the the tune that the marching band plays at the end is miley cyrus's we can't stop 
That's right. That's right. <laughs> and That's that, right. sign me the fuck up just because of that. <laughs> I'm telling you, you guys, I think, would dig this movie. The listeners, I'm recommending it to you as well. It may not be your bag. If you saw Euphoria and hated it, you're probably not going to like this. If you saw Euphoria and liked it, I think you're going to love it. I remember this coming out, though. I, I, but it was before Sam Levinson had, had sort of made a name for himself. And uh, it seemed like something, oh, that might be mildly amusing. And I just totally haven't seen it uh i'm going to recommend uh 9-11 one day in america uh, the tv series it's you can watch it on hulu but i think it's a discovery channel uh mm. thing as well i think um, it's not national geographic oh yeah they... nat geo nat yeah. geo um and uh uh this documentary uh series is five episodes long I I think we're all I mean is uh, when this episode comes out the 20th anniversary of 9/11 will have happened. Um I think a lot of us uh, who ha- who who watch a, I I watch a lot of 9/11 stuff. I still haven't figured out why yet really. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's just something that I think is it's one of those things where it's so unreal and terrifyingly real at the same time that Yeah. I just can't turn away from it for some reason. Um, and so when they make new stuff with new footage and everything, I always, I always gravitate towards it. But this one is stands out because even though I've heard survival stories and hero stories in nine 11 before, uh, these do it in a, there's, there's stories I have not heard before in here. Now there might be some that were generally related in other docs or, uh, you've read newspaper articles about them or whatever, but hearing the people talk about what they were doing that day uh, and where they were when all these things happened, it's a miracle. Almost all of these people are alive. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the one that man, the one there's several different stories. One is a parad- parad- paramedic who's looking for his partner and he's feared. He, he's feared that he's dead. Uh, and, uh, he, and in, in, in all these episodes start with a thread, basically you, there's somebody who talks at the beginning and then you don't hear that person for a while. And then like, sometimes the stories, uh, sort of like merge because the person they're talking about is the other person that's been talking in the episode. Um, and you don't know that right off the bat. But just some of these stories, man, uh, the, the, I think everybody has heard of the stairway that magically, uh, stayed, you know, out of harm's way when one of the towers collapsed Mm. and the fireman who, who, uh, who, uh, survived that, that day tells, tells the story of why he was there, like what, what was going, why he was there. He was there to save people. And, uh, and, you know, I think the, I think the one, this one is where they're in the, is it the South Tower that's the second one to go down? I, I can't remember which, which one it was. I think it's the North Tower is the second one to go down. Because yes, the South it's the first, first one to get hit, but it's the, the, sec- second, it's one the second one to go down. Uh, they, they're in the, I think this fireman's like in the 70th floor or something when the uh, South Tower goes down. And they're like, okay, we're going to have to get all, they have all these people ready to go down the stairs and everything. And they go down, they go down, they go down and they run into someone, I don't know, 20th floor or something. Her name's Josephine, I think is her name. And she is sort of in a a ball 
crying, saying, you know, praying all that. And, and they have to pick her up and go down. They say, he's basically like, if that one tower can fall, this one's going to fall. So we better get down there. And they get to the fourth floor and Josephine basically is like, I don't want to go any further. And that's when the, that's when the North tower starts falling. And he, and he, and he's like, we hear the, we're hearing the, you know, each floor hit each other floor as they come down. And we're just expecting at some point there's going to be that last one that comes down and hits us and we're done, but it never happened. And then there was silence. And, um, and you hear stories like this all the way through this five episode season, uh, just miraculous type of things. There's, there are also a lot of awful things. And if you're, if you don't want to hear about some really awful things, you don't want to watch the series probably. But if you want to hear a, a bunch of acts of heroism and how in the world, some people who didn't even expect to be in this place ended up being there and ended up being doing heroic things. The stories are very well done. I mean, I, I was moved by, I think every episode uh, that came out. Uh, so, uh, I, I, I highly recommend this nine 11, one day in America, you can see it on Hulu and Nat Geo, I guess as well. I have seen three episodes of this. <clears throat> Everything he's saying is correct. Um, there's a guy who talks about walking out and just seeing bodies everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's, it's graphic depiction description but the interviews are almost to a person uh, kept from getting too emotional. Mm -hmm. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. The way that guy is describing what, if I had to describe it, I would curl into a ball and cry. If I had to describe what he, now maybe he's told the story a million times. What I appreciate about the series is the, is the unexpected footage of the people we've been listening to so like there's one of a firefighter who's in the north tower when it collapses and he gets trapped under a piece of concrete and we're seeing him tell the story in an interview session 20 years later um and you know the guy in there with him gets out and fucking abandons him yeah leaves him for dead um and he eventually pulls himself through and scratches up all of his whole fucking body on rebar just to get through and he's like, you know, I got out, I made it. And it cuts to this shot that looks like stock footage of 9-11 pandemonium. Because there's a lot of that kind of stuff in between the interviews. And this guy walks by and it's fucking him. Mm -hmm. It's They found footage of that guy who ripped up his flesh and shirt on the rebar crawling out. And it's like somebody's interviewing him. He's like, yeah, I was in there and I got out. And then the EMTs are like, stop interviewing this guy. Let's get him out of here. Every episode has something like that, where one of the people we've been interviewing, you can see them in a shot of that you used to just think was chaotic 9-11 B-roll. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of what humanizes these stories for me. Um is because, you know, it's not just hearing the story. It's, oh, fuck, there's the visual representation of after he went through all that, that's what he fucking looked like. Mm -hmm. The one that got me the most was the guy who said, I had 60% of my body with burns, my contacts melted my eyeballs, oh. but I was alive. Yeah, yeah. And I, was, I couldn't stop thinking about that imagery, that, that being happy in that moment knowing your contacts are burned to your eyes and your body is all charred. At least I'm alive. 
Like, yeah. God, I have been very moved by the series. There is a lot of new footage and audio. I, there's the shot of the first plane hitting the North Tower that I had never seen before, a video of it. Um, Where the, like the, uh, the before, like, because um, we all have seen that one little clip of the fireman with the video, the video camera. They, they, they hear the plane coming over them. And that's when they, they turn the camera to see it. And, but we've not seen the story before that. Is that what you're talking about? Or yeah, another? no, I, yeah, no, I, uh, that shot we've seen. Yes. I didn't mean to say that. Um, but there's still footage. There's still footage of, I think that second plane, one of the planes, I feel like there was a shot in there that I went, I've never seen that before. I don't know where they found that. Yeah. The, it seems like, it seems like the first one only has that fireman's footage because everything I've ever seen, I've never seen like a, like we might see the aftermath or whatever, but we've never seen the plane. Uh, the, the fireman footage is, is fascinating to me because we didn't, we didn't have any context for that. Like they're looking for gas leaks and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and they, and they, he's just telling the story, this guy Pfeiffer, who's like a battalion commander, is talking about going from place to place and there was these gas leaks and they're trying to get these gas leaks fixed and everything. And then, yeah, then they're like just kind of hanging around looking, trying to figure out what to do about this problem. And they hear that plane fly overhead. I always wondered because I'd only seen shots of the firemen without the sound really. And like, I was like, how did they know to point the camera over there? Like it just didn't, you know, because yeah. A plane flying over, you could always say, yeah, okay, they heard the sound, but you don't realize how loud that thing is until you see the full footage and everything. Um, but yeah, each one of these episodes has a story like that in it. And, uh, you know, it's it's not all about let's show all the destruction, although it shows the destruction at every point. <laughs> that dude who was on the 81st floor and went all the way downstairs and got convinced by peer pressure to get on the elevator and go all the way back up, who saw the fucking second plane come and hit his floor. Saw it tilting, he said. He saw oh, it. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that guy, that guy has been in a uh, previous docks, uh, and the guy who eventually came up and found him had yeah. been in previous docks, but it, for some reason in this one, there was just something about the way they presented it. It's all, it's, it, it it's even better this time for yeah. some reason, uh, the way they, they tell I have, story. I tweeted about this and I have had uh, several people respond, you know, I'm in the camp that can't watch any of this stuff. Uh, and I totally understand that. Um, mm -hmm. We're not trying to get, if, if you've been to date reluctant to watch, maybe don't watch because this is harrowing to me. Mm -hmm. um, but like Chris, I am, I am drawn to this stuff. I, it's somewhere between feeling a moral responsibility to, to remember it and not wanting it to ever turn into one of those things that just happened in the past that i we don't talk about much anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this is, is just our, where we are generationally. Um, because if you think about a 15 year old today, they, they probably don't think about nine 11, the way you, the three of us do, they mm -hmm. didn't experience it. It's probably to them, like what footage of Vietnam is to, to me. Yeah. Um, but this I experienced, I, I saw it all unfold on TV. Like I'll, I will never forget that day. Um, but it, I don't ever want it to seem like a movie. I don't ever want it to seem, I don't want to, I don't want to get desensitized to it. So prior to this year, I've been watching that 
112 minutes that changed America doc yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. every year, because that's mm-hmm. all almost all in real time. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's an obligation for me. I do not think everyone should feel that same obligation. No, I just wanted no, to clarify no. that. No, uh, definitely not. Um, uh, there was some other interesting things about this documentary too. If you remember, if you remember the movie world trade center, which came out five years after, uh, this happened, of course, United 93 also came out five years, but it was United 93 is a better, way better movie. Mm. Uh, but world trade center, the, the story of that, that is also in this documentary. There's an episode, uh, uh, that talks about, uh, it's it's more if you remember Michael Pena in World Trade Center, but not Nicolas Cage because they don't really talk about McLaughlin all that much in that one for some mm. reason. But one thing that I thought was, I don't remember. I, in fact, I know because I looked it up later. There's there's a there's a guy named Jason Thomas, I believe is his name. He's a Marine. I was like, I don't remember this guy in World Trade Center. I remember Michael Shannon. Now Michael Shannon is playing a real guy in that in that uh in that movie. But there's another Marine in there in World Trade Center that is played by William Mapather, who is the mm-hmm. Tom Cruise's cousin. Yeah. That's who he's playing. He's playing Jason Thomas, who is a oh, black wow. guy. He's oh. playing a black guy in that. And I was like sitting there going, I just don't remember this dude. And I was like, Oh, that because they they cast William Mapather for some reason Interesting. in this. And, uh, and he's telling this story about like, you know, walking. I don't, th- here's the thing we don't think about a lot of times in during these rescue missions that they had, people are walking on six and seven stories of debris. Yeah. And that it's as dangerous as anything that yeah. was going on. Like the, and, and he, Jason Thomas is sitting there talking about, you know, like, you know, yelling down into holes, hoping somebody will, will, will call back to him. But when they finally find somebody who's actually alive down there, like the, the actual operation to get down in there and like help out. I mean, it's, it's nearly impossible. They had, they, they had, they finally got some rescue workers that had come in that night. They were able to get, wave them over to their spot. And that's how they were able to get, uh, you know, these, uh, firefighters out. But, yeah, this is uh yeah, I, again what Jeremy was saying uh you know, if if you want to hear these acts of heroism, it's great. If you don't want to relive any of this, then definitely don't want to watch it, but uh but this is a high recommend if you do. Yeah. It's been a long time since I saw Oliver Stone's World Trade Center. Was there any like conspiracy stuff in there or was it pretty straightforward i, th- I remember it being pretty straightforward just about the, the onion i think being... the onion did something pretty funny i think when that movie came out because there's a there the the one thing that uh we don't realize a lot of times is that it didn't matter if you were close to where everything was going on you still didn't know what was going on a lot mm-hmm. of times mm-hmm. there were people who came out there were the both towers collapsed and they didn't know what happened. They didn't even know a plane rent, went into the building. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, there's a part in world trade center where, where Nicholas cage is told about tower two. And he's like, what happened to tower two? And there's, and then the guy's like, I don't know. 
the onion i think did some sort of thing where like you know, like oliver stone makes a conspiracy that nothing happened to tower two or something <laughs> like that you know <laughs> this oliver stone you know research you know like uh presents us with tower two nothing happened to tower two or whatever um but you know it was based it was just based on those lines oh, um but uh no no conspiracy stuff he he hadn't done conspiracy stuff since jfk i don't believe no and even w uh was pretty straightforward i mean it was a hit job technically Mm -hmm. but that was an easy target you know what i mean (laughs) it wasn't yeah you didn't need a whole lot of embellishment uh for that it was Mm -hmm. was pretty straightforward uh yeah i remember it not being good though uh, but right. I'm like you guys. I'm uh, I I I am compelled. I feel compelled to watch this uh, stuff like this. So I'll definitely check that out. I will also mention too, um, since it's the probably the most appropriate episode to talk about it. There's uh, there's one on Apple TV that talks about what George W. Bush's day was like. That one's pretty good. Uh, you know, uh, one thing that I find disturbing about a lot of the documentaries I've seen lately that talk about presidents, the people who were under that president love that president too much. They mm-hmm. love that president too much. He's talking about the Reagan's uh, documentary and how mm-hmm. Jim Baker was all like, he fired those guys. That was amazing. He <laughs> fired those, you know, yeah. like it, like yeah, people lost their, lost their jobs because they were looking for better wages and better. Yeah. That's a real fucking great job. Reagan did. Yep. Uh, but like the same thing for George W. Bush, people who worked under him are all like, Oh yeah, he was, he, he did. This is awesome that he did this and that and the other thing. And it's like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> But there's there's that one and there's the one on Netflix as well, which is is about the war on terror at large. It ta- it talks about 9-11 at the beginning and it goes through all the stuff that you've seen in 9-11. But it also talks about what happened before and what's happened since. Uh, oh, really? Going on. Now, I have not finished that one yet, but it's on Netflix and uh, I'm about four episodes into that one. Hmm. Um, uh, but it, it talks about. Uh, the reason why I was I was thinking about this is that, uh, you know, Jeremy was talking about how this is like Vietnam uh, for a 15 year old kid. This is like Vietnam to them or whatever. Uh, they're 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 showing uh, soldiers in Afghanistan. And this guy is like it's like in 2008, 2009. And he's like he's like, man, nobody nobody back home cares about this fucking war out here in Afghanistan. It's, it's nobody's even mentioned nine 11 in the last three or four years or something. He's like a friend forever, mm. you know, and uh, the whole reason why we're even out here and, and, uh, and that has gotten into some very interesting things that I had not heard with its various context as well. So that's, that's good stuff too. That's on Netflix. Is it a uh, turning point? Is that what that one turning called? point is what it's called? Yep. Yeah, I didn't. Re- I thought that was just nine eleven. I didn't realize there was a, a broader. Swath it's it's there. yeah. It's it's all. It's like it's basically past nine eleven at this point. It's just talking huh. about Afghanistan and the war on terror and um, all the decisions that were made. Uh, the you know it obviously gets into the torture part of it, and it gets into all the all the you know the mistakes that had been made leading up to what you know this withdrawal that's been you know i'm i'm it's interesting i'm sure this is this documentary was completed before the withdrawal so mm. it's interesting hearing what these guys are talking about uh leading up to it because they're all saying what's about to happen essentially anyway so uh that one's also good anyway. <clears throat> what's also good 
I'm going to try to make a segue here uh, into lighter fare. All right. Um, I uh, I appreciate uh, both of those, and especially the uh, the 9/11 stuff. But I want to talk about a movie that came out earlier this year called Cruella. Cruella. Mm. Cruella is the origin story of Cruella Deville of 101 Dalmatians fame. Um, and man, when I started seeing these trailers, I was intrigued. Mm-hmm. I was like, hmm. that looks mm-hmm. pretty interesting. You got mm-hmm. Emma Stone, uh, who's yet to misfire, really, except for Aloha. And I think she's even self-deprecating about Aloha. Um You've got Emma Thompson, who's obviously one of the the greatest actors of all time. Uh, you've got what I heard was a standout performance from Paul Walter Hauser, uh, who I've come to kind of adore in almost everything I've seen him in, maybe everything I've seen him in so far. And I haven't even seen Richard Jewell. Um, and I was he's like, the best thing about that movie, him and John Hamm. <clears throat> that mm-hmm. movie's not good, but he's good in it. So I was, uh, it came on Disney plus, uh, finally. And this was a theatrical only, I think, mm, uh, or no, was it a premium thing it, on Disney plus? It, it had the same thing as black widow did because after jo- Scarlett Johansson sued, there was discussion about whether Emma Stone would sue. And then two days later, she signed a deal for Cruella two that I guarantee you <laughs> Has like compensation for <laughs> nothing the screaming of Cruella has, had nothing to do with that whatsoever. I'm sure, uh, but yeah, at the time in May when it came out, late May or whatever, uh, I I was not interested enough to pull the trigger on a thirty dollar rental for this. Mm-hmm. So it came on Disney Plus uh, for regular members and everything, and uh, and I watched it. Now I have seen. Uh, both iterations of 101 Dalmatians, the original one and the, the Glenn Close one. And all right, you know, obviously saw the original one when I was a kid, saw the other one when I was a teenager. It, it holds no weight for me whatsoever. Um, no nostalgia or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so I went in, you know, with, with really just like, hey, I'm going to watch Emma Stone and Emma Thompson do their thing. Um, and so I watched this movie. I fucking loved it. <laughs> I was mm. not expecting that. <laughs> I was not either. <laughs> now this oh. this movie ain't perfect. Um, it's it the 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 stakes are generally low. Um, there's a you know a, a few detours and whatever, but it's fun. Emma Stone ha- displays her whole range from chewing, chewing dialogue to meek to sad to all the stuff that we've expected uh, from Emma Stone over the years. There's a lot of shades of her Birdman character in this, if you can believe hmm. that. Uh, the cinematography, you talk about one shots. There are several one shots in this uh, movie that took me completely by surprise, uh, hmm. both exterior and interior, uh, that are beautiful. And yo, uh, J- Jeremy and I have talked about Marie Antoinette and saying that that is all style over substance, almost all style over substance. This mm-hmm. has 
more substance than that. A lot more, I think. But it's still heavy on style. And I fucking dig it, man. It takes place in uh, mostly in the mid to late 70s uh, in the, uh, the, the West End of London, uh, the high fashion district. Uh, Emma Stone as Estella works for this cruel, um, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, cruel Devil Wears Prada type of uh, dictator of a fashion house named uh, the Baroness. <laughs> Little shades of phantom thread in this too. Uh, she is a a a, 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 a clothier, a fashion house, and Emma Stone's character Estella wants to get into that. Uh, and to get into that, she must become uh, a dual character of Estella and her alter ego, Cruella. And once that happens, man, this thing lights a fuse and it is so much fucking fun. Hmm. I was grinning. I was just like, yes, this is awesome. The supporting cast. Now, if you've ever seen the original, or I think they're in the uh, the 96 remake too, uh, Jasper and uh, Horace, the two henchmen for Cruella. Hmm. Uh, what Horace is played by Paul Walter Hauser and Jasper is played by Joel Fry. Uh, is a British actor that is spectacular in this. Uh, really the entire cast, Kirby Howell, uh, Baptiste who plays Sasha in Barry. Chris, uh, is mm-hmm. in this, uh, Mark Strong is in this. Uh, the cast is fantastic. The style is fantastic. The cinematography is great. The dialogue. Meh. It's it's fine, but this is so much more fun than I expected, and I fully recommend it. Hmm. Interesting. It's got a seven point four on the IMDb, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I think it uh, backs you up a little bit. Uh, Craig Gillespie directed this, mm-hmm. who did uh, Lars and the Real Girl, hmm. and uh, he did the remake of Fright Night that was pretty good, mm-hmm. and uh, the Million Dollar Arm, and I Tanya. Yeah, uh, uh, all on his list. He also did Mr. Woodcock, which you know is not good. Mr. Wood, uh, that was uh, John Heater, right? Uh, yep, and Billy, and Billy Bob. Bob. Yeah, yep. yeah uh, but uh, yeah, interesting. I, I when the movie came and went, I didn't give it any thought whatsoever. I didn't hear anything good about it. I didn't hear anything about it. So you're the first person to have come back with a review of it for me. And uh, it's glowing, and IMDb users think it gl- is glowing as well. Look, if you're an Emma Stone fan, and I am uh, an unabashed uh, mm-hmm. Emma Stone fan. Hell um, yeah. And especially when she's showcasing like what she can do. La La Land, mm-hmm. obviously. Well, um, shit, man. Even even the Croods is better because she's doing voices and that. You can I mean, hear I, I the stuff, the little stuff that she does, little cracks in her voice, little mm-hmm. like just she's got a way of of connecting to the audience that is wholly unique. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Emma Thompson is over the top in this, but she's supposed to be over the top. Emma Stone has has a little chance to really broaden out a character that obviously was literally and figuratively two dimensional uh, in in the original, mm-hmm. and kills it. She kills it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. it is so cool. 
and I did not expect to like this. I expected IMDb and everybody else to be uh, down on it because I liked it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I I definitely recommend this to everyone. Hmm. Nice. Hmm. Nice. I am hmm. going to recommend the lowest rated Rotten Tomatoes scored movie I think I've ever recommended. <laughs> hey, that, yo, that's saying something. <laughs> it has a 49 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, written and directed by Max Winkler, Henry Winkler's kid. Mm-hmm. It stars Zoe Deutsch, Catherine Hahn, Tim Heidecker, Adam Scott. Um, I think we, the, I think we found your new crush. Uh, uh <laughs> Zoe may, Deutsch might have, uh, this movie's called flower it came out in 2017 and it's got a 6.0 on IMDb. It's not as good. As it could be, but uh, better than the Rotten Tomatoes score suggests. Let me just set up the movie, and you can decide if you want to watch it or not. Zoe Deutsch. Before you, before you go into it, before you go into it, did you talk about this movie with us on Slack? Is I did. Is this why this is so familiar? I did. It's not you, did, you didn't talk about it on the podcast. Before. No, no, it was Slack, and I gave you plenty of details. Yes, okay, you did. Good. Yeah. All right. Um, Zoe Deutsch had... I'm not super familiar with her. I don't, I haven't seen a lot that she's in and she was giving me massive, um, shit. I just had her name. The Caitlin Deaver vibes. Yeah. Um, she reminds me of Isla Fisher a little bit too. Yeah. And I went and looked at her up. She's been in plenty of stuff. I guess she was in disaster artist, zombie double tap. I've seen, but I don't remember her. She's, um, the, she's the girl that, uh, Eisenberg, yeah, uh, had sex with or whatever in the White House, uh, and then like, she oh, tags, al- so then she tags along. Yeah, <laughs> then she tags along, and she's the dumb one, basically. Yeah, um, she's fantastic. Uh, she's the reason I'm recommending this movie. She's charming as hell. Um, she's playing like that opposite of Manny Pixie, Pixie Dream Girl. Like uh, the movie opens with her blowing a cop for Mm. money Mm. but her friends are filming it and they blackmail him for more money Mm -hmm. and this is how you're introduced to her and this is how she and her two friends make money is they find she's 17 they find older guys she blows them and then she says hey you just you just got a bj from a 17 year old give me all your cash or Mm. let's go to the atm and this is sort of their thing and uh her mom is Catherine hahn who has been through many relationships, but she's now dating Tim Heidecker, who is playing the quietest, schlubbiest, most tame dad, stepdad you've ever seen. In your- There's nothing about this character that's outlandish, which is why I love that it was Tim Heidecker playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Catherine Hahn is finally happy. She's found a man who loves her, even though he's a little schlubby. They've been together for a while, and it's time to get his son out of um the treatment facility he's been in for a year uh so they go to pick him up and the son is i guess the movies would tell you he's not attractive he's heavy um probably doesn't talk to girls much let alone ever get the girl and so the next little bit of the movie is about him and zoe deutsch kind of becoming stepbrother and stepsister. She she offers to blow him the first time she meets him because he seems nervous. She says, we're not related. I, I like doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he turns her down. And ultimately, the movie is about their relationship, how they go from uh, 
opposites to friends to something romantic by the end of the film. Uh, the inciting incident is he was in the facility for pills. He went on pills because when he was in high school, he accused a teacher of molesting him. And no one believed him, and the teacher never got in any trouble. That teacher is Adam Scott, mm. who the girls see at the bowling alley all the time. And now that she's learned this, her stepbrother was molested by this guy. She's like, let's make him our next victim, yo. Um, and uh, things go horribly wrong. Um, and I don't want to say any more than that. Um, there's a lot of really cool music choices. The way I started this conversation on Slack was I sent you guys a song that I had heard in this movie mm -hmm. that I love. And that poor artist has never had anything else since. And I feel bad for him. Mm -hmm. um, this made me laugh a lot. Uh, Catherine Hahn is not necessarily trying to be funny. Um, it's so, it's so weird to have her and Heidecker playing, you know, these famous comedic actors playing these boring people, really. Mm -hmm. um, it just was so totally unexpected. I never knew which way it was going to go. And I had a really good time. I watched it again a couple of days later and liked it as much. So Rotten Tomatoes be damned. I'm recommending the movie Flower. So <laughs> there you go. Zoe, Di Zoe Deutsch is uh, Leah Thompson's daughter. Um, oh, I see that. I can mm -hmm. see that. Yeah, she, Leah Thompson and uh, the director Howard Deutsch uh, had been married for like 30 years or something like that. It's one of those long lasting Hollywood marriages. Uh, but they've had, there's a, she has an older sister, I think that also acts, uh, that isn't, hasn't been, hasn't broken through like Zoe Deutsch has, uh, she was in everybody wants some, which was the, the Richard Linklater movie that a lot of people compared to dazed and confused, which disappointed okay. me when I watched it because mm -hmm. I was expecting dazed and confused, but I'll, I'll watch it one day without that, uh, that, uh, expectation and probably like it a lot more. And she was also yeah. in that Ed Sheeran music video, um, uh, Perfect, I think, is the song. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's in that. Uh, Perfect. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> they, um, they used to play that back-to-back -back on <laughs> uh, Epic Awesome video. Um, I am going to wreck oh, a warn. Whoa. Sorry, Flower, which I recommended, is on Hulu. I know oh, listeners okay. like to... You're burning up some Hulu, yeah. I've been burning up the Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to wreck a warn. God, I, I've watched a ton of shit lately. And Me I don't too. know what to really, like, recommend or warn. Because a lot of these movies are kind of like, eh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I can make it warny enough or recommendy enough. And <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to wreck a warn a 1981 movie called Absence of Malice. Uh, which uh, stars uh, Paul Newman and Sally Field and a whole bunch of other people that are in it too, like Bob Balaban, Wilford Brimley shows up to be Wilford Brimley. Um, uh, he almost, I think Wilford Brimley almost steals this movie though. Hmm. Um, uh, it has a really good, the, the thing that, the reason why I'm wreck warning it is because it starts off with a really intriguing premise. Um uh, Sally Field is a reporter at this newspaper and wants to uh, find find a story. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what the exact story she's looking for. It doesn't really matter uh, what she's looking for at the beginning, though, because Bob Balaban is playing some FBI agent who really wants uh, 
her to start pursuing Paul Newman's character as for something for wrongdoing. Now, Balaban knows for a fact that Paul Newman hasn't done anything. But he's the son of a gangster who died a few years ago. And there's an incident where he got into it with FBI agents on film at the cemetery when they're burying his father. Um, so Bob Balaban like leaves a book out on his table when, when Sally Field's talking to uh, him. He goes, I've got to go somewhere real quick. And he knows that she's going to look through the book and find out that he's under investigation for something. She doesn't know what, but she starts to write a story about it. And by the time the story is over, she's like, there's not any way I can really explain what he's being, um, he's being um, investigated for. I do now remember what the investigation was about. There's a union leader that has died and they think it's, he's missing and they think it's, it's a foul play. Mm. And so there's this discussion that maybe the Paul Newman character did it because he works in the business where this union leader works and they're, hmm. you know, so, um, so Sally field at the end of this, uh, writing this, uh, article says, I don't know if there's anything that I can really prove in this. All I know is that he's being investigated and there's not anything to really back it up. And then, and the lawyer at the newspaper brings up the thing about absence, absence of malice where, you don't know that the story is true or not, but they can't prove nobody can prove that it's not true. And we can print it without any, anybody having any problem with it. Um, and we're, we're totally in the clear because we've heard this story and we know that it's happening and, and, but we don't have any other like details or whatever, but still we're, we're in the clear to print the story. So she prints the story and it basically like immediately sort of ruins Paul Newman's life because a lot of people think that he maybe killed this union leader guy. And, uh, and he starts, you know, seeing that effect at his work and everything, but he comes into the newspaper and, and, uh, and asks her like, well, is, are you going to retract the story? Because I, I obviously haven't done anything here. You don't know of anything of what I'm doing. Like if it turns out that I didn't do anything, are you ever going to write a big story like this that says I'm completely exonerated? And they're like, no, we're not going to do that because we don't care about that type of stuff. Mm. Um, where the warn comes in though, is that this story sort of tar- starts taking all these little twists and turns to the point where, about two thirds of the way through it, Paul Newman and Sally field, they have to get together because they love each other. And they're like, you know uh, you know, it's like, what the fuck? Where did this come from? Hmm. Where all of a sudden is Paul Newman and Sally field fucking in this movie? Like you, you, you see the beginning of this movie and everything that's happened. And it's like, at what point do you guys get horny for each other over this? And, and it, it makes a big deal out of this relationship and everything. And then it, it's sort of ex machina as it's ending because Wilford Brimley walks in and he's like the guy from the justice department. It's trying to figure out what the hell everything's, you know, he's trying to figure out what the hell happened, how this story got published, how he, how Paul Newman became a suspect is Bob Balaban. Is he, is he, uh, um, is he to blame for anything in this? Uh, there's a variety of other little, uh, uh, government guys who get involved in this that that he's he has to talk down to at the end of this movie and it's just uh yeah i mean i i think 
it's a point where it's a it's a high it, the movie's at a pretty good high and then it dips down mm. and then it comes a little bit back up when wilford brimley <laughs> comes in uh uh That's and like uh, the tennessee COVID arc yeah, yeah <laughs> just like the tennessee COVID arc um I, I if it had just kept to the the actual story and whether it was true or not, if that had been a thread through this mm. whole movie and Paul Newman never really gets involved with Sally field and, and, and all this bullshit that they throw in there, I think it could have been a really interesting uh, exp exploration into newspaper ethics and reporting ethics. Uh, but as it turns out, it's like, it's, we've got so many things that we want to talk about in this movie. So it's going to take all sorts of twists and turns and nobody's right. And blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, 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 no. You had a really good thing that you could have focused on here. I believe it was Sidney Pollack who directed this movie. By Ooh, the way. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, it's, it's for the most part, it's good. It's just, like I said, when it starts making all these other little twists, it's like, eh, could have stayed on the one thing and that could have made it a really awesome thriller uh, or, a, or or an awesome investigation into bad reporting. So. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know, man. That's a in, solid in, record warm. In 1981, Paul Newman and Sally Field were too good looking not to fuck each other. That's, that's, that's possibly true. Um, but yeah, they didn't need to get together in this movie. That's this is still true. this is uh, still probably prime Paul Newman. This is still Paul Newman when, as we've mentioned before, like I I think he's still in the the age range that Clooney is in now. That I mm -hmm. think he could still, if if George Clooney wanted to keep trying, <laughs> he could do something like The Verdict, or he could do something like Absence of Malice and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But he's it doing seems great like work he's during coasting. this time too. I'm sorry? He's doing great work during this time. Yeah. Uh, he's 56 when this movie comes out. Uh, Sally Field, 23 years younger than he is. Um, you know. Yeah, Paul Newman still, even at 50, uh, what was he, 56? Or mm -hmm. he, he still looked, I would. Could still get it. I would still hit that. I have a uh, a fun wreck of Warren. Listen, it's getting into fall, folks. It's not full fall. We're in the southeast, and it's still going to be hot. Uh, every once in a while, we get in the dog days, but there's a, a little whiff, a little sniff, a little, little puff of autumn in the air. Uh, and I, I got a little horny for a horror movie over the mm -hmm. weekend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hmm, what's a horror movie that looks like it, it's interesting and not just jump scares and not just, you know, bullshit. And uh, I looked on Netflix and as above, so below was on there. And I remember hearing good things about this movie, uh, but I didn't know anything about it. I knew it happened in Paris because the, um, the, uh, the poster shows the Eiffel tower in there. And I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's give it a run. Mm -hmm. Give it a, give it a look. See the basis of this is that it, it follows it's found footage, which I generally like um, mm -hmm. when it's, when it's done somewhat cohesively. Uh, and it's about this female, tomb raider uh that looks for buried artifacts and treasure and stuff like that chris have you seen this movie i haven't i remember it coming out but yeah. i haven't seen it 2014 uh, and so she uh she breaks in the beginning of the movie to a place in iran uh and finds this ancient thing 
and you thinking like, oh, it's Indiana Jones. She's collecting it and uh, she'll move on to the next heist or whatever. No, she is actually following her father's footsteps who is looking for the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, um, hmm. which you guys will probably remember from uh, Harry Potter. The, the Harry Potter didn't make that up? No, no, no. The Philosopher's Stone is a legendary thing about uh, Nicholas Flamel, an alchemist that uh, created a stone that grants you eternal life. And, uh, and that and predates like that. Harry Potter? Oh, yeah. Big time. But the Nicholas Flamel is in Harry Potter? Yeah, I think he's he's name-checked in there somewhere. Oh, mm. wow. I didn't know that. That's uh, but, crazy. But he's an alchemist when it comes to magic. Of course, this stone is some sort of magic thing. But in the in this movie, it's treated as basic fact. And so she ends up getting kind of a crew together uh, to go search for this in the catacombs of Paris. They have to find a French guy that knows all the catacombs very, very well and everything. They have to go to a secret type of thing. The other person in this, uh, in this movie is Ben Feldman, who uh, you guys all watched Mad Men, right? Um, mm-hmm. He was the... Uh, uh, ben Feldman was the the guy who showed up. Kind of the they derisively pointed out his Jewish heritage in that, uh, but uh, he played Michael Ginsburg, uh, kind of like the uh, the new hip guy that really didn't take any shit from from uh, Don Draper, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's the one that was memed to death with the whole "I don't even know who you are" uh, type mm-hmm. of thing with Don Draper telling him on that. He's also in uh, Superstore, if you've ever seen that children's hospital. Yeah, he's been in a million things. Yeah, and he's a really good actor. Uh, He's in this, and they find an interesting way to to make... It's essentially like a Descent-style caving movie in the catacombs of Paris. A lot of this is not necessarily just the horror angle or the found footage angle. It's also... Like a, like a treasure hunt, like a national treasure type of thing uh, where they have to figure out the next step based upon, you know, what the clues are. Escape room type of thing. The horror comes in. If, if you're claustrophobic at all, uh, if you are scared of caves at all, this will test your resolve. It doesn't bother me. I've been caving many times before in... Um, while I'm not super comfortable in tight spaces, it, it does kind of increase the blood pressure a little bit. There are some actual scares in this movie. There are some metaphysical things in this movie that, that kind of, uh, fill you with a bit of dread. It's a good movie. It's a good Mm. horror movie. It's got a really good cast. Uh, I like the found footage aesthetic. Uh, hmm. once again, ain't perfect, but I like the cut of this jib. I like the way that they're doing this. Uh, this is, I think, a, a, a gem that's not talked about when it comes to, to horror stuff enough as above. So below is a recommend for me for sure. Hmm. Perdita weeks, by the way, is Scarlet, the main character. What? <laughs> but also she, she is dynamic she she really holds a screen she's a little bit her character it's not her fault her character is a little overwrought uh but she's fantastic and she's 
easy on the eyes as well. Hmm. Um, I had heard middling reviews about this movie, so I never sought it out uh, when it came out. But could be a, a a case of picking this movie up without any expectations that would uh, buoy it a little bit. Um, yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, I'd watch this for for sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, this is a typical Barrett recommend who knows nothing about movies and it's got a you know four point four on the uh, the IMDb. Uh, but you know, I, I like what I like and I liked this. I mean, I, man, I, when I, I, I Comcast now gives you, if you hover over a show, it'll, a movie, it'll tell you like the Rotten Tomatoes score of mm-hmm. that movie. And the lower that score gets, the more intrigued I am <laughs> when it's a movie I've never heard of with people I know. Yeah, yeah. Like I saw one the other day that was 3%. And if I'd had time, I would have watched it, but we were on the way out. But, um, you can have a good time with bad movie if you, if you go yeah, in with the can. right approach. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. listen, I mean, there, there are certain aspects of as above, so below that are rote and that are, you know, well-tread territory and stuff like that. But I had a good time with it. I actually checked with our resident horror expert, Jonathan, to see if he liked it. Cause I, I figured, uh, he had seen it and he, he actually did too. And, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm at least not the only one, uh, even though IMDB does, does not agree with me, but, uh, I, I thought it was fun. Both of those movies, first of all, female led strong, uh, women not dismissed, uh, for, for any reason or being helped unnecessarily by men. I'm, I'm down with that. And they were both fun movies. Uh, so I would recommend hmm. both. Hmm. All right. Well, to uh, round it up, you recommended Cruella and you recommended As Above, So Below. Uh, Jeremy recommended Assassination Nation. Hey, more women uh, in the forefront there. Mm -hmm. I am all over that shit, by the way. You you guys have really given me some shit to some homework. I can't wait to hear what you guys think of that one for sure. Uh, He also recommended Flower, Zoe Deutsch uh, movie from 2017. Um, I recommended 9-11 One Day in America, which is on Hulu and Nat Geo right now. You can, uh, there's five episodes of that. Really good. And I recommend warned 1981 movie starring Sally Field and Paul Newman, Absence of Malice. Mm. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter, Discord, and SoundCloud. Um, but that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com. I saw, I guess for a while, one of the Kardashians' ex-husbands dating, um, do you remember Harry Hamlin from L.A. Law? Yeah. Was it L.A. Law? Yeah. He's he's got a daughter. She's like 18. Mm -hmm. And this ex of a Kardashian who's like 45 is dating her. And I saw a quote, what Harry Hamlin thinks of his daughter dating this guy. And he goes... It's weird. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, there you go. I would probably yeah. say the same thing. There's uh, a lot of those weird ones where you're like, who the hell? Like, this guy is dating this woman. You're like, who the hell is this woman? And you go and check it out, and it's like, oh, she's the daughter of some dude who's his age, who's yeah. the father's age, you know? And I mean, like, every time that, that poor Andy McDowell's daughter is in the headlines for dating, it's almost always a guy way older than her. That mm-hmm, poor mm-hmm. Andy McDowell. Yeah, what's she's now? She was seen kissing somebody, that actress, uh, and it was somebody old. Oh, we gotta find it. <laughs> uh, this is the one that was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Yes, and, and I don't. Uh, I have nice no guys. idea why I cannot come up with her name because um, it's Kaya Gerber is her name. Well, that's uh, uh, Cindy Crawford's, right? Oh, no, that's who yeah. I was talking about. I'm sorry. Mm. Annie McDowell's daughter is... No, 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 no. Annie McDowell's daughter is Margaret the one Wally. I was talking about. Mar- Margaret Qualley. I just Googled the wrong girl. Uh, mm. So hang on, hang on. I got to find this. Margaret Qualley. 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 Margaret Qualley. Not Shia LaBeouf. She did date him. Ugh. Jack Antonoff. Oh, yeah. How old is uh, Jackie Antonoff now? Probably late 30s, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's 37. Yeah. Yeah. How old is Margaret Qualley? She's probably 20. She's about 25. She's 26. 25. So that's only 11 years. That's not so bad. Actually, she's she's 20. Yeah, she's 26. She'll be 27 next month. But, you know, the, 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 the 18, 19-year-old Harry Hamlin daughter, that's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, anyway. I think that's the same guy that prior to that was dating um, somebody else super young. I think oh, that's yeah. just his, his deal. <clears throat> that's his deal. An ex uh, Kardashian. The John Mayer ex. deal. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of different stuff in it. Um, <clears throat> and even some of the same stuff is cut different or he used a different take. Um, and uh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad, I will, man. <laughs> I will say there is one thing I don't understand about this version compared to the Whedon version. When they go to that building and Flash in the Whedon cut saves everybody by flashing them to different to a different spot. Yeah. And in this one, he and uh what is it? Um who is the other person with him? They uh, they walk him up. Cyborg walks him yeah. up some stairs, and and then and then just kind of moseys them out. And I'm like, why doesn't Flash just go ahead and zoom them up to the roof? <laughs> and he he does one thing where he where he uh, where he blocks a whole bunch of like debris and shit from uh, right. falling down on the people, which is kind of cool. But like, I don't understand why we are slowly walking up some stairs to get to the roof when Flash is fast. <laughs> What's also interesting is that, uh, you know, now Wonder Woman 1984 and Aquaman have come out since the original came out right so there's so there's more context that you can't ignore because chronologically this came this came out after wonder woman 1984 right mm-hmm. 1984 was did. like december of last year right yeah or somewhere yeah 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 so so diana should have a lot more shit going on than she does in well, this. and the wonder woman 1984 is just a fucking uh 
unbelievable, unaware movie. Unbelievably unaware movie. How did that? You think it was uh, Warner's or DC and or DC that that really fucked that up? I mean, I feel like everybody dropped the ball on that one. Yeah, but I, I, the over the you're talking about how Wonder Woman should have all this, you know, whatever like more stuff involved or whatever. But that but all the movies that came out before Wonder Woman 1984 had no fucking clue about Wonder Woman 1984. Absolutely. Nobody like, knew she existed. Batman can only know. see her in pictures in <laughs> World War One. That's it. And, and she's apparently like done nothing since then. In fact, even brings it up and says, it's like, you've got all these powers and you've just been lying low this whole time. You're a fucking asshole for doing that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and then and then and then the mo- then the movies decide nah in 1984 she did something that nobody knew about, <laughs> but that affected everyone on the fucking planet. Yeah, I've seen I saw the bare bones of that Patty Jenkins thing. Is she not? Is she's not wrong though, right? Uh, it's just about how she phrased it. I think people took her comment to mean any movie made for a streaming service is not a real movie. Whereas I think she was talking uh, about more the, the old school direct to video style movies that are now direct to streaming. That's what like, I thought she meant from yeah. the little blurb that I saw, but I didn't read the whole story. So, and, you know, she could have gone out, come out and just said streaming's bullshit in general, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean she 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 did say in that article. This was L.A. Times, I think. Right was the was the actual article uh, in the in the full article in a different spot. She was saying that there is a, uh, a there are projects that are meant for streaming, especially mm-hmm. television shows that are meant to be binged and stuff like that. And she was she was very complimentary about uh, streaming. What I think, uh, Jeremy you're probably saying it correctly is that it was that part was phrased wrongly and that saying that there's so much of a glut of stuff where she doesn't hear about him. She doesn't see him. And she's right. Because like, I didn't know, have you guys seen on HBO max, this, uh, Benicio del Toro, Steven Soderbergh, uh, movie. I forget the name of it. Uh, that's popped up. It's like only lovers dead alive or shotgun wedding or something. You know what I'm talking about? It's not that. Yeah. I didn't hear about that before it came out. Did you guys know about? It? I mean, I I knew about like reminiscence because that's day and date and all that stuff. But that whole thing just came out. Like, there's a million Idris Elba movies on Netflix that come out, and I'm mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this? I'm I mean, sure it's okay because Idris Elba's in it. But what? The problem is, it's lumping it all together. There are plenty of movies like that. That I don't ever hear of until I'm surfing Netflix and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that's your huh? bread and butter, right? But, you know, everybody heard about Extraction because of that supposed massive one shot. And you couldn't escape that movie the weekend it came out. Right. So, I mean, I don't know where Patty's looking. She's probably too busy to be on Twitter looking at what film Twitter's talking about. Maybe that's why she doesn't hear about these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that was the that was the comment that made me tweet about it. it. Was not just the streaming films look fake, but the I don't hear about them. No one talks about them. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think exactly. no one talks about them she, in your circle. Yeah, but. I think she was talking about those other movies. I, I don't think she maybe. was talking about Old Guard. I don't think she maybe. was talking about Extraction. I think she was talking about even the stuff that we're engaged. You know, yeah, as much right. as anyone really, and and even we don't know. No sudden move is the. Um, the movie that i'm uh thinking about no sudden moves left alive um <laughs> and then yeah fall and winter we're gonna be having cocoa out there by the fire or maybe roasting marshmallows and shit so so you've got the actual fire pit is like a what you get at home depot or something like that like a yep. above ground type of thing yep uh that's fucking rad man everybody yeah. you guys all have fire pits now <laughs> fire pit. is it uh logs or gas it's just logs. Yeah, it's just it's not going to be connected to anything. I'm just going to throw wood in there and set it on fire. <clears throat> you got a you got a you got a you got a log guy? No, but they sell logs at Publix and Kroger and shit. Like, I'll just do that. Well, I got a lot of trees. Maybe I'll just burn some of my own wood. <clears throat> it's like uh, the Seinfeld thing when he's checking out the the big apartment and he's like, "How much do you tip a log guy?" <laughs> you know what's frustrating to me regarding tipping um is that sonic now that you can pay with your card right there at the screen you order from yeah they don't give you a way to add a tip you gotta and i don't gotta carry cash any cash yeah you gotta yeah. cash it up no yeah i'm not those poor girls every time i'm like i want to say i don't i don't carry cash or i tip you tell your bosses to give me a little widget one thing though I thought I I had heard about Sonic back in the day though is that they don't get server wages like uh, uh they get regular pay yeah. hmm. and that, and that's the reason why they're you know I I've, I've tipped them in the past but I don't go out of my way to do it okay. um uh but I I've I've heard that now that could be completely fucking wrong and if i've ever jilted a server then you know sorry about that i did not mean to i just always thought that they got paid like any other fast food person does i think they do um i think the reason people tend to tip them is that that the extra thing they do is run the food out to your car i guess as opposed Mm -hmm. to handing it to you from behind the counter but i do agree i do believe they are paid more than like 239 an hour like waffle house waitresses mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but still they, uh, they gave me an option i would t- i would digitally tip them yeah i would too you ever get uh roller skates anymore no i, I did see one in mine uh nearby i think they're allowed to wear them if they want but um no i don't i don't think i've seen that in years mm, no roller skates. Damn shame just once i want to see some fat old 70 year old dude like bring me my sonic Right. Like they have to be discriminating in their hiring practices because it's always girls under 25. Oh, yeah. No, I got I got a bunch of, uh, I mean, young men. OK, at, I've never uh, seen that. They never wear roller skates. It's always the women that uh, have. Uh, I've literally skates. never had my sonic food brought to me by a man, let alone someone that was older than 25. Like I have I, I have like a lane from Seinfeld flashes every time I go there like that. They only hire girls. <laughs> like they only hire college girls. That's it. Like it's discriminatory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're in big trouble, Mister. <laughs> <laughs>
Remember those old speakers that used to like click together? Those old PC yes. spe- speakers? Yes. Yes. Yeah, those things sucked ass. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Well, they weren't expecting you to have like, you know, awesome movies pumping through them. They were expecting <laughs> you to have like, you know, stupid video game sounds yeah. coming through them. The sounds everything. from Mist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem. That's Duke right. Nukem. I like Duke Nukem. Packing heat. <laughs> mm. I like that. Keep going, baby. <laughs> this is gold. <laughs>